great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... Welcome in to your Wednesday edition of Shout a Buffalo Bills football podcast. And we got a jam-packed show tonight. A lot to get into as we kind of kick off Cincinnati Bengals week. Uh, It's the AFC divisional round of the playoffs. The Bills have made it back to the same place that they made it to last year before they were eliminated. And it's funny, Ryan. I was was talking about this on on a radio show today. But how dramatic of a Sunday could it be? It's going to be anyway. But if somehow the Jags upset the Chiefs, the Bills will be playing for the right to host the AFC title game, which is going to be the same spot they were in a year ago when they were 13 seconds away from hosting the AFC title game against the Bengals. It's like you, you really couldn't write a better a, a better Hollywood script. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and it's going to be interesting. And listen, Trevor Lawrence going to Waffle House after the win last week. I'm saying Jags by three in this game out this upcoming week. And that's that's a power move showing up to Waffle House after that comeback. Uh, in all seriousness, yeah, the, the Bills are in a similar spot. You, you go and you win this game and you're either looking at a, you know, a neutral site. But best case scenario, Jacksonville pulls off the upset and you're hosting the AFC Championship at Highmark Stadium. Uh, in front of a raucous crowd and a Jacksonville team that probably wouldn't want to play in Western New York in, you know, late January. Was that Raiders 51-3 game? Was that the AFC title game? Yeah, it was. It was. I remember that game. Um, I didn't go to it. The the only playoff game I ever went to was the comeback game, which, you know, uh, if you're going to pick one, I, I, I would imagine yeah. that would be the one to pick. But I, I always thought about that Raiders game and what a party it probably was in the stadium. Um, and I would love to cover a home AFC title game just to see the fan base get to revel in that. And so in a way, as much as I don't really like root on pro sports teams anymore in general, I'm going to be a big Jags fan on there Saturday for personal reasons, not just to see the mafia celebrate at home potentially for the AFC title game, but also no trip to Atlanta, which I don't know. I don't need a trip to Atlanta. I'll be fine just covering the game right here. I, I don't know. That's fair. And I would I would probably drop Hot Atlanta about 20 times. And I know they don't like that out there. So, you know, keep the game here. That'd be great. Uh, I'd be all for it. I think you'd have to get to the stadium at like 7 a.m. though, just to beat the, the traffic and how crazy it would be that afternoon, that late afternoon uh, for that Bills game. They're going to be tailgating maybe even the night before if, if that AFC championship game is at high mark. Speaking of tailgating, what's got you covered every week, Ryan? We're going to switch things oh, up a little bit. Tops always right has to you covered. Woo! The Carryout Cafe for your game day, your tailgating spread, whatever you need, they got you covered over at Tops. Hot to go fresh large cheese and pepperoni pizzas, $14. The jumbo chicken wings, 10 count, $14. The legendary breakfast pizza, get yourself a large for $20. Pizza or taco log, six count, $7.69. Baby back rib sections, $5.99 a pound, plus sub sandwiches, wraps, app sides, and so much more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash red zone for the complete menu of ready-to-enjoy fan favorites. 
I'm going to let you kick us off. And before we do, love uh, sending love out to Kyle. Thank you so much for the kind words. Uh, coming here for, uh, you know, the analysis, breaking down, you know, the games. We always appreciate you guys joining us on the uh, YouTube comment section. If you're on Facebook, we see those too. So thank you for joining us. We even stream live on Twitter. Hit that like button, subscribe as well. It really helps us out. Where do you want to start, Ryan? You know, I, I think we have to start at Cincinnati's biggest weakness going into this game. And I can't say it's a potential strength for the Bills, but if there's ever a time for this defensive line to be able to step up uh, and really have a game, it's going to be against the Cincinnati offensive line, Matt. They are hurting in a bad way coming into this game on Sunday. Seriously. I mean, so you go a couple of weeks ago, Lyle Collins out for the year. So you knew that going into that first matchup. And I think I talked about it on that uh, preview show about the potential of Greg Rousseau having an impact because of an advantageous matchup on the right side. When you go back to the offseason last year, when uh, Cincinnati, before they even started big times additions to their offensive line, I mean, they went out, they got Lyle Collins, of course, they, they brought in Ted Karras, they brought in Alex Kappa. And, you know, the idea there was to improve things and move players uh, around a little bit. And there's one player, I'm looking up their depth chart right now because I can't, I don't want to screw up his name, but the right tackle uh, for the Bengals will be Hakeem Adeniji. And he was public enemy number one in Cincinnati. And they went all the way to the Super Bowl, but he, he struggled mightily. And to get that matchup potentially here this week, for Greg Rousseau, that could be a big time matchup to watch. Alex Kappa being out in this game is massive. Not only for if he's out, not only for the fact that y- your right guard is going to be uh, position is going to be affected. I think Ted Karras is affected without playing next to a guy in Kappa who I think has had an impact all over that offensive line. And then you go over to the left tackle spot. You mentioned it in in our production meeting earlier today week-to-week diagnosis on Jonah Williams. If he is out in this game and you're talking about basically a collection of journeymen and Ted mm-hmm. Karras becomes your most reliable offensive lineman, this could be big-time danger zone for Joe Burrow. And this defensive line is playing with some confidence. I know they had four sacks. Two of them were by Matt Milano. But you get one for Ed Oliver. You get one for Boogie Basham last week against the Dolphins. And they had Teron Armstead in. And they had um, you know, a, a couple other starters. This could be a big-time matchup to exploit for the Bills on Sunday. Yeah. So in addition to getting after the quarterback, too, it's also the run defense. We saw the Bills hold the Dolphins to 42 yards and 20 carries. Uh, being able to stop Joe Mixon and company would be very big in this game. And the, if, if your starting right side of your line is out, which obviously Lyle Collins already ruled out, uh, Alex Kappa week to week and, and Kappa and Williams were not spotted on the practice field at all today by the Cincinnati mm-hmm. media. That, that's a pretty ominous sign in terms of their chances of, of playing this week. You think that they have to at least be out there, be limited to a certain extent. That's they're down three guys. And that was their big, that was their Achilles heel last, last year. The fact that they were letting Joe Burrow get hit so much, you know, obviously the bills paid a lot of money for Von Miller to be a difference maker this year. And he can't be in the playoffs after suffering the injury on Thanksgiving. So this is this opportunity. Like you said, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, AJ Epinesa, interior of the, of the defensive line Ed Oliver, who had a sack last week, uh, Daquan Jones, Tim settle, you name it. They need to all step up and have a, a real big impact on this game to, to make life easier for 
uh, one of the best linebacking duos in the league that the Bills have who are coming off of an outstanding game in Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds. The secondary, uh, imagine how much easier it'll be for them going against those great wide receivers if the Bills can get initial pressure on Joe Burrow and force him off of his spot hit him, uh, sack him. It's going to make life easier for the, the the back of that defense as well. So it that is going to be the matchup of the game, in my opinion. The Bills opened as, I believe, a minus four favorite on most sports books, FanDuel, DraftKings, so on and so forth. They've now kind of bubbled to minus five, I saw earlier today. And I think a lot of that money coming in, you know, the fact that, you know, the Bills are home, number one, they're very, very healthy. I mean, if they were to hold, they held a walkthrough today, but had it been a full practice, there wasn't one single DNP listed. Now, we'll obviously pay close attention tomorrow when the Bills are expected to hit the practice field. Yeah. Josh Allen today was super complimentary of Sean McDermott, allowing them to kind of hold this walkthrough, you know, dial things back a little bit, let everybody take a deep breath. You know, guy, it's a long season. You mentioned how much of a grind it is. And the Bills are super healthy. And uh, there was a report from Adam Schefter today that Isaiah McKenzie is on track to return this weekend. So now you're looking ahead at this matchup against the Bengals defense. And there's going to be a number of different options for offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey. I mean, you could be looking at a, a, a really a conundrum. Do you who do you deactivate if McKenzie's ready to play? Beasley's on the 53-man roster. John Brown, you've been elevating from the press squad. And oh, by the way, Khalil Shakir is surging after that big-time play late in that game. Yeah, you know, it might be John Brown in that specific situation. I know he's not a slot receiver. He's more of the outside guy. And uh, McKenzie would be taking on a slot role where you already have Cole Beasley, already have Khalil Shakir. Uh, those are the tough decisions you have to make, though, and you have to look at, at snap counts. You have to look at what uh, everyone does well. Shakir, obviously, in, in my opinion, would be a stone-cold lock uh, for his blocking ability, for the fact that you said he's come on as of late. Uh, he would have been the third receiver to go over 100 yards in that game against the Dolphins had he have caught that pass before halftime. That was initially ruled a 54-yard completion, but then he kind of bobbled it, dropped it. So he had a really nice game, if you consider that, and put that into effect. Uh, Gabe Davis, Stefan Diggs is your top two. They just have so many weapons right now, so many players that are healthy. It's going to be very hard. You obviously have those standby players. You have the Tommy Sweeney that's uh, always on that list. You have you have the safety that they uh, made in that they a- added a few weeks ago from the Jets practice squad. There's always two or three guys, Balin Specter. Uh, but when it comes down to those last few spots, that's where the decision making is going to be very difficult for Buffalo. We got a chance to talk to Gabe Davis, and I think I mentioned this on the show. Like, you know, he's very usually during his media availability, very you know, straight to the point. Like, you know, he's not a man of many words in those settings and those scrum settings. And today was just much different. And I've noticed something over the course of the last couple of weeks with him. You know, it started with, you know, we, we would talk about going to practice and just setting up shop over by the wide receivers to, to see how he's doing that ankle injury. I maintain has been something that's affected him throughout the season. And so I'd go over to where the wide receivers receivers were stationed and I watch every day. How is he cutting? How is he moving? How is he stopping at the end of his routes versus air? And I'm telling you, Ryan, until like the end of December, early January, it just did not look the same as it did as we were standing on the field together at St. John Fisher watching him practice. And so for him to kind of leap over that hurdle, I think was a massive deal, right? Then also I've just noticed a different level of 
intensity from him. I, I think it started the week of the Patriots game where he would come in after practice and everybody would be doing interviews, coming off the field, coming off the practice field in the locker room. And there's Gabe Davis on the jugs machine. During his interview today, Josh Allen's, he said, he was asked a question about Gabe Davis. And he's like, you want to know about that guy's work ethic? Look at him out there. He's still on the jugs machine. Everybody else has been in the locker room. Um, he told a story about coming in the locker room today and Von Miller had brought a Super Bowl trophy, a replica of the real thing. And he put it in um, the locker room and he, uh, let me just bring this up real quick. Do you have the quote off the top of your head? Yeah, you guys, pretty much y'all said you would do anything for this. Something along those lines. That's it. You said you'd do anything for the, for it. And it was just a, a way to kind of motivate the team. And I know that there's been these conspiracy theories about Von Miller and where is Von Miller? He said he's going to be heavily involved in the team. He's right there. He He's in the locker room. He's on the sideline. Uh, and so Gabe Davis took that to heart and he went out there uh, after practice and continuing, you know, to, to lead by example in a lot of ways, showing everybody else that he is putting the work in to be the best that he can be and be what I know fans have, coined the term playoff Gabe, but you know, for the guys in the room and I talked to Cole Beasley for the story uh, on Gabe last week and all this other stuff came together today. So I wrote it. He's this guy to them, 365. You know, first and foremost with the ankle injury, it's interesting to think about to sit back. Uh, We're not NFL players, but I know I've, I've strained things, hurt things in my lifetime. And I know that it takes a period of time before you start feeling like yourself again. He's such an important part of this offense, though, that when the when he probably thought he was good enough to be active and play, he was out there and he was nowhere near 100 percent. And like you said, the cutting wasn't the same. The route running wasn't the same. The confidence probably isn't the same because, you know, you're not going 100 percent. You know that you're not going to be able to break away from those receivers. And you're starting to see that health now. He's just so important that he wasn't a player that you could sit for multiple weeks, that you could make inactive. Uh, he is that surefire number two wide receiver. And, you know, we were talking earlier this afternoon about uh, completely different positions, completely different players, but Kyrie Elam, he had an ankle injury earlier this year too. But because of the depth chart with Buffalo, uh, he, he's he's off for a few weeks and he's inactive, even though he's not on the pre- on the injury report. And now you see him and you know he's 100%. You know all that extra time worked in his favor. Gabe Davis was a guy you couldn't get off the field. In terms of the work ethic, yeah, you said it. It's off the charts right now doing the jugs machine. And I'm sure Von Miller bringing in the replica of the Lombardi trophy uh, was a great reminder, a really nice motivational factor. And he was there on the sidelines for the Miami game. He'll be there on the sidelines for this game against the Bengals, I'm assuming. And as far as this team goes, but I think Gabe Davis is someone that with or without that motivation, you're going to get this type of work ethic from him. And then another part that, you you know, you, you mentioned this article you published tonight, a letter from his mom, uh, the kind of was a reminder of, you know, remember where you came from, remember where you're at now, uh, how all the work you've put into it and, and how special it is. And he he does. He, not that he needed that extra motivation, uh, but playoff Gabe is, is a real thing. And I, I think, you know, our big play game, Gabe, whatever you want to call him or big game, Gabe, whatever. There's about 10 different nicknames for the guy. Uh, you're seeing <laughs> it. You saw it against Miami. Uh, I think that you're going to see him have a really nice game here as well against Cincinnati. Yeah. And I think that whether it be Gabe Davis, Dawson Knox, who uh, I think you uh, mentioned this on our last show, five, a touchdown in five straight games. Um, You know, he's had a pension for stepping up in the playoffs as well. They're going to need those guys. They're going to need guys not named Stefan Diggs to step up 
So I got a, I got a Ken Dorsey take. I got to thinking today because I was asked about. Um, there's a report out. I think it was Schefter who said that. Uh, what it, what was the report? The plan is for him to interview with the Panthers Saturday. Saturday. So that was reported last week, and you know I asked Ken Dorsey about it this week. This week, and he was quick to kind of you know, push it off to the side and say that he's 100% committed to the guys in the room that have played for him all season. And, you know, that kind of stuff takes care of itself. You know, the, the thing that you want to hear the guy say when you ask him the question about that, of course, nothing groundbreaking. But as I've I've thought about the job that he's done and the way that he's been so polarizing in the fan base, like, first of all, I don't think there's ever going to be an offensive coordinator <laughs> for an elite team that isn't, like scrutinized and right. criticized and everything like that. I mean, even Andy Reid, I think, deals with it. I'd imagine within the Chiefs fan base. But I, the thing I was thinking about with Dorsey is like the challenge of this year is so complex because number one, you have him being a first-time play caller, right? That's number one. I almost think of it like a triangle. That's the, the first dot of the triangle. The second dot of the triangle is you're bringing with you not a system that you devised, but a system that somebody else devised in Brian Dable, you helped like propel it. You helped develop it. And the version that exists today, I, I'd say, you know, has your fingerprints all over it, but in large part, you're taking something somebody else built and now you're trying to execute it like your own. And so within that lies problem, because you're going to probably try to put your own unique spins on it. Josh Allen has mentioned this before and the challenges of doing that, and the complexities, you know, that lie within that, especially for players that are new, younger players, that's its own thing too. Here's the other, the third dot of the triangle for me, and and what has really has to impress you about the job that Ken Dorsey's done. He has a quarterback who he's ultra familiar with, in Josh Allen, who he helped develop, and and honestly, you could say he has as big of a hand in it as anybody, but who is in year five and now the developed version of himself. You're a first-time play caller. He is an elite, been there, done that quarterback. And so that marriage, in its own right, is very interesting and unique because they have a relationship. But I'd almost argue that Josh Allen, in his role as quarterback, is high, more elevated or more developed than Ken Dorsey in his role as offensive coordinator. So there's that kind of, I don't want to call it a power struggle because they're obviously very much in line together, but that balance between, okay, this is Ken Dorsey's offense versus this is Josh Allen's offense. I'm wondering how much at times that is a bit of a struggle to navigate as you're trying to empower your player to, to run the offense, you know, change calls at the line, change protections, audible, hot routes, all that kind of stuff versus what you want to do and in, in marrying those things together. I just, I just got to thinking about those three different things that, you know, really as a backdrop to Ken Dorsey's first year as an offensive coordinator, all things considered, I think he's navigated it quite well. Yeah, I think he's done a great job with it. And Steven uh, Ruiz, uh, I don't want to take credit for this. He, he shared something recently, man. He said, compared to 2021, the Bills offense is better in DVOA, EPA, success rate, pass DVOA, run DVOA, series success rate. 
That's all with Ken Dorsey at the helm in his first year as offensive coordinator. Now, you mentioned it. Uh, Brian Dable kind of came in and, and inserted this offense. We don't know how much of a hand Dorsey had in, in putting it together as the quarterback's coach at that point in time. Uh, but but it's always interesting as the first-time play caller in terms of uh, maneuvering this. And I've heard the stat 100 times over from Bills fan, no first-year offensive coordinator has ever won uh, a Super Bowl, and yet the Bills are just a few games away from making that a possibility. I think Dorsey's done a much better job than fans want to give him credit for uh, because you said it. When you have an elite quarterback, you're not going to get all the credit you're going to. You probably should. And you're probably going to get more criticism because when things don't go well, yes, yeah, some of it's going to be on the quarterback, but then from that 30,000-foot view, if you're not looking at the all-22 you're going to put some of that blame as well on your offensive coordinator. So uh, I think he's done a good job. Is he ready for a head coaching position? I don't know. Uh, and, we, you know, it's going to come down to how he interviews, how he holds himself. He's a former college player, played in the NFL, uh, been coaching here for some time, obviously first experience, as we said, as an offensive coordinator. But I'm interested to see on Carolina, where obviously he has ties there. Uh, he helped lead them or helped get them into the Super Bowl working with Cam Newton, with the last time he was there, not a lot of carryover from that uh, that time period, but he has some history there. You have Dan Morgan in the front office there, uh, who is in Buffalo as of last year. So there's some connections there. Uh, they might be looking for someone that can come in and be an offensive uh, type of leader for this team if they're going to go with a, a young quarterback. I know they drafted one last year in those middle rounds, but obviously in prime position, maybe add another one this year. So. It'll be very interesting to hear how the interview goes, but uh, I tend to believe these coaches when they are interviewing that their main focus truly is on the game at hand. More great news on the DeMar Hamlin front. Not only did he return on Saturday, met with the team, went to practice. He's been in the building this week. You know, he was in the building Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, kind of building a normal routine and um, obviously, uh, Everybody in the building, you know, they're trying to give him a space and everything, but there's this this level of excitement with just the normalcy of it all, right? Like to to go from three weeks ago, what happened in Cincinnati, to him just coming to the facility on a on a Wednesday afternoon. I mean, that is just such an unbelievable, I'd imagine like just emotional load off of everybody's you know, backs. Like, I mean, this is something that this team is carried. Deion Dawkins penned a letter to Bills Mafia before the playoffs started. And he said, listen, we're all in. The Bills are all in. We're going to go and we're going to try to win a Super Bowl. But just know that this has been a really heavy time because of dealing with all of this. And just, and that's real. That's the human side of this thing. But I think Sean McDermott, what he said today, that there's a lot of positives that have come out of this as well. I think compartmentalizing all of this and knowing DeMar Hamlin, where he's at, has really allowed them to maybe put this aside as much as you can on the week that you're playing the Bengals and like all this stuff might get, you know, reconjured up had you put any of it to bed. I think it puts them in a, in a spot to, you know, maybe come out really energized and, you know, more well prepared. And I'm and I'm and I say that because I wonder how much the last two weeks, despite getting wins, it's weighed on them and it's affected the games and it's affected the performances. I mean, you look at that 32-29 game, and I know the Miami Dolphins did a lot of good things, but you wonder how much of at 17, whatever, if there wasn't just a a collective gasp. And you know, maybe that's something that might have led to the, you know, six or seven possessions of um, you know, turnovers and and so other such things. So it's gonna be interesting to see what this development, if, if anything, has an impact on them on Sunday. 
Yeah, and what happened in Cincinnati is not anything that they're going to ever forget or, or move on from completely. But from an emotional standpoint, you'd have to believe that they're going to be in a good spot because they're seeing this player come into the facility almost every day now, uh, try to get into some kind of routine, get his uh, feet, feet wet, I believe, is is what Sean McDermott said doing in terms of like baby steps. No, he's not going into the team meetings. He's not watching film, but he's at least getting back there. And, and that's such a major hurdle, I think, for the, the players that were on the field in that game against Cincinnati, because you mentioned the last two weeks, you know, look at the New England game, for instance. They, they didn't practice really early in the week. It was kind of walk through stuff, closed off from the media. And then each day you're getting more and more good news. You hear they have the FaceTime with Mario. Hamlin, uh, telling him to kind of finish the job, go out and play for him. DeMar starts FaceTiming with them. They get more and more encouraging news, but it's still such an emotional way. And they were able to, to not, you know, defeat the Patriots. I think that was probably even a bigger emotional hurdle for them than even last week, but it still was kind of lingering. But now that you're seeing him day in, day out, you know that he's on the road to recovery. Uh, he, he's doing well, all things considered, from where he was just a few weeks ago. I like I said, I think that's one hurdle they can kind of get over. And I'm not sitting here saying they should prop them up for this game, have them lead him out of the tunnel, waving the flag, anything like that. But if you can even have him up in a suite, knowing he's there watching uh, after you've had him in your facility all week, I, I think that would also do good for the players' spirits. Want to win for for number three? Wa- know he's there watching. Uh, kind of a wait and see. Obviously, wasn't uh, hasn't attended a game yet since the injury, but. All all signs are pointing to him obviously getting better each day progressively. Rick Rarick on YouTube, uh, regular. What's up, Rick? Thanks for uh, joining us tonight. If you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe. Has Leslie Frazier gotten any interviews? None, none yet that I know of. I know that he interviewed for Houston last year, so you wonder if maybe they bring him in for another interview. But, man, you just – the Leslie Frazier, um, the lack of buzz around his name, uh, it's just – it to me tells the story of how there's a lack of understanding in the league at how to build the right situation in your organization. You know, it's not just the hot offensive or defensive mind that you want to get running the show. You want a CEO that can come in here and come into your spot and create a culture. I don't think anybody, if you had any conversations with anybody that's been involved with this organization over the last six years, that wouldn't come back with telling you that there's no doubt about it, that Leslie Frazier is going to completely change the culture from day one, bring in intelligent, smart people, good football people to run both sides of the ball and special teams. You're just nuts. I, I I'm shocked that there's not some type of buzz around his name. I agree. I think it's, it's a loss for these teams looking for head coach coaches that he's at least not getting the interviews, getting the looks, I just think that it is kind of the way of the the NFL that the teams are looking for the next big thing at positions. And that's younger, maybe that that's these gurus, offensive minded coaches. You look at the AFC and obviously McDermott's a defensive minded coach. We have Andy Reid, an offensive guru, Uh, Zach Taylor, who came from the the Rams coaching tree, obviously offensive minded there. Uh, Jacksonville, Doug Peterson, offensive minded Shanahan in the NFC's one coach that comes to mind again. Uh, a lot of it is, is just these offensive minded guys too. And I, I think that teams also lean in that direction. Now they're looking for offensive guys first and foremost. Uh, you can find defensive coordinate coordinators. You can look at the success of some of the guys this year. 
Brian Dable, for instance, might end up being coach of the year, taking that squad and uh, getting in the playoffs and winning a playoff game with that roster uh, from where it was to where it is now. Uh, again, offensive minded guy. So I, I think a lot of factors are working against Leslie Frazier. Uh, but at the same time, you know, last year, thank goodness he didn't get that Houston Texans job because that was just a kind of a seemed like a, a no win scenario, as we've seen with Lovey Smith, as you saw with the previous coach. Uh, they, they don't have much stability there in terms of keeping those head coaches on, giving them a shot to write the ship. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. One thing I like to do is like remind fans to like live in the moment and enjoy the good things about your teams. Right. Like I've, I've said that for years. I've, I remember growing up, uh, my dad was a huge Yankees fan. Uh, our family was really. And uh, if you've been around Yankees fans or Red Sox fans, you know, it's just like any year where they're not winning championships and, 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 you know, the best team in the league, it's, Oh my God, the, F-bombs and the just the world is ending and all the craziness. Meanwhile, I mean, what is it? 27 rings, 27 championships. It, it, life's good in Yankee world, <laughs> even when they don't win a, a championship for a decade or two. I know the Bills haven't won a Super Bowl with Josh Allen. But, man, I got to thinking about this today and how cool is it for Bills fans to be in this spot. You go back to that 2018 NFL draft, Baker Mayfield, who knows where he's going to play next year? Who knows? I mean, the Rams may want him back, but he's talking about taking time and taking the best situation. And it might not be the best money situation, but the best like fit situation. I mean, whatever way you want to frame it, the guys doesn't have a, you know, an NFL future right now. Definitively Sam Darnold, nice, fun story. He kind of got things going a little bit in Carolina, but it's other than that, he's been an absolute flat out bust. Where's Josh Rose, Josh Rose in the NFL. Uh, he, he might be like yeah, a, might be on a practice squad, yeah, might not. That's kind of the question we ask ourselves about Josh Rosen the last five or six years, right? Like, is he still in the league? We don't know. So they got that. Lamar Jackson right now. The story that's unfolding in Baltimore is just fascinating because depending on who you talk to, you got Marlon Humphrey coming out today talking about, I want to get on a podcast because I'm in a talkative mood. Everything coming out of, you know, Sammy Watkins last week before the game basically pushing for Lamar Jackson to play through the injury. Michael Vick coming out on national TV and saying, oh, I played with that injury for almost a full season. We're headed towards a very ugly divorce in Baltimore. And that's not to say that Lamar Jackson isn't a a great quarterback. I, I do think that he is. Is he an elite quarterback? That's another conversation for another day. But when you're talking about quarterback stability, going back to that draft, Man, the Bills really, really hit. And it's why no matter what you ever have to say about Brandon Bean, he made the most important decision and he made the right one. Yeah, he made the right one and didn't have to make some kind of colossal move up like uh, the Jets did to move up to number three for Darnold that year. Obviously, the Browns had the number one pick uh, for Mayfield. So, yeah, it it worked out beautifully for Brandon Bean, the Buffalo Bills, knowing that you have Josh Allen uh, locked up for many, many years and. Yeah, it's a it's a ton of money. I think two hundred fifty eight million dollars was the the final to, to, total. But when you look a, across the league and some of the deals already out there, some of the guarantees already out there, I think he was already bumped off off the top five quarterback salaries uh, since this year. Since some of the deals that have come out, so it, it's already showing uh, tremendous value when it comes to Lamar Jackson. Just real quick off topic there, you know, I don't always agree with Robert Griffin 
the third, but I'm glad he shared, you know, don't brace up, don't play. That's what I did. And it pretty much ended my career. Lamar Jackson has to think of Lamar Jackson, and I'm sure he wanted to be out there playing for his teammates. But if he's not right, he needs to be able to get right because some team, if it's not Baltimore, uh, is going to shell out a lot of money for him. Even if he isn't at that same caliber as a Josh Allen, a Patrick Mahomes is an all around quarterback. There's, there's intangibles with Jackson that are top notch. Great. Uh, and make him a great quarterback, but you, you have to think of yourself sometimes in this league too. So I was glad he didn't suit up on, on an off topic there, but yeah, the, the bills hit the jackpot of that quarterback draft. Yeah. Sammy Watkins coming out, being the uh, spokesperson for uh, <laughs> playing through injuries is about yeah. the wildest take a person in this world could have in the football world. Uh, great stuff. Great stuff. All right. Next topic is yours, my friend. Ooh, next topic. All right. Uh, I want to look at some of the things we talked about. Uh, Kyrie Elam. Let, let's talk a little Kyrie Elam. Uh, I was wondering your take on this. Every year, and I guess you could look at a lot of the Bills rookie, rookies, in, including Khalil Shakir and, and James Cook and the way they've been managed this year. Every year there's rookies that hit a rookie wall. These rookies that are thrown out on the field week one, uh, they play a big role for their team, whether it's on the offensive or defensive side. But by the end of the year, it's, man, this has been 20-some weeks with uh, the regular season, with the preseason, throwing training camp, and, and they, they're not as productive. I'm not saying the Bills did it intentionally, but maybe it's a blessing in disguise the way that Kyrie Elam's rookie season is gone. He played for a little bit when injuries came up. He suffered an ankle injury, uh, inactive when he comes back from it, and, and playing very limited reps behind Dane Jackson. All of a sudden, he gets to come in after, I think it was 27 reps from Dane Jackson last week, suffers the knee injury. And he does not look like a player that has been out there for uh, hundreds or thousands of snaps this season. He looks fresh. Uh, he, he looks like someone that, you know, you just you just got off the lot. The, the tires are clean. Uh, he's running well. And you can say the same for James Cook and, and how the team brought him along. Uh, and the same for Khalil Shakir. He's been blocking a lot, but he hasn't been used a lot in this offense. Maybe what happened with this rookie class for the Bills is a blessing in disguise. I'm looking this up because I love this conversation. I asked uh, Christian Benford about the rookie wall a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know, we, I've been talking to Leslie and Sean about that. You know, this is the time of year every year we talk to the, you know them about ro- rookies and you know playing all these games and then like you know it being so much different than college. Was the injury that he suffered, was that, were you able to kind of step back and maybe that's a a benefit like, or, you know, a blessing in disguise. And he's like, no, man, that, that, that wasn't that. Um, he just said, no, it wasn't that. He's like, rehabbing has been pretty hard, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to go into swear word mode. Um, I'm sitting doing these fucking sprints. He said. <laughs> Because he was off, like, you know, rehabbing, like, every day, like, doing the sprints sure. across the field. And uh, he was indifferent about the rookie wall. He he never heard anything about it before. He didn't – he wasn't tiring. He wasn't anything. He was he was ready to go. And, and being injured kind of bummed him out. And I think, like, to your point, I think that there's some juice there to that idea because both of them haven't really had traditional rookie years, like you mentioned. No. And so – Having them kind of, and I think that's kind of by design, like why maybe Sean McDermott does slow things down without saying so. Because I think like if you go into that with a mindset, it could affect 
a player's mindset. Like, oh, I could kind of just coast because the expectations aren't that I got to go balls to the wall for, you know, 17 game season and then the playoffs. So, yeah, I, I think that now you, you're sitting there. You couldn't have a more confident Kyrie Elam than you have right now. And he's coming off of uh, what could potentially that do for his mojo, for his football arrogance, if you will, to come off a game where you went mano a mano with Tyreek Hill and you won twice like that I can remember. And that's just twice that I can remember. His advanced stats, I mean, PFF has put out a couple of these, the cards based on his uh, you know coverage snaps and his um, what he's done in coverage against a couple teams, they're jaw-dropping. I mean, go back to Kansas City, and, I mean, he's he's playing out of his mind from a coverage perspective. And I know there's more that goes into the game, but I think the biggest benefit for Elam right now, it's not just about the coverage. It's what he's doing in other areas of the game. I think he's been a better-than-expected tackler. And I know that Sean McDermott's always going to, you know, side on the um, – Air on the side of not blowing up a rookie too much, but I think you got to be thrilled about it. And I texted you about it. I think Kyrie Elam has to start on Sunday with the talent at the wide receiver position for the Bengals. And I think that you have to give a lot of consideration unless you're, you want, maybe you want to play Christian Benford 40% of the snaps because there's something you've just seen from him that you want to see. I, I wouldn't be against just playing Kyrie Elam the whole time opposite Trey White. I'm not against that idea either. And, and, you know, does this mean he's going to be perfect against the Bengals? No, he's coming off of a game where he was nearly flawless against Miami, an interception, a near second interception, a pass. uh, I guess I don't want to say pass breakup on that Gusecki throw, but it was tight coverage uh, that helped lead to that turnover on downs. But you're going to see an athletic cornerback with good size uh, that you draft in the first round if you're Buffalo to, to kind of play in these big moments in these big games. And you mentioned the confidence is an all-time high. He's healthy. Uh, you know he's going to get some work opposite Trey White, but he's shown that he can step up this season when called upon. I go back to the Chiefs game and the interception he made in the end zone in that matchup. Uh, I go back and I think of just last week. The skill set is there for him to be an X factor for this team in the playoffs. And I'm right there with you. Dane Jackson dealing with a knee injury. He, he, we called him like the Levi Wallace of this team. He, he was dependable. He was the safe choice. You knew he'd be in position. He'd keep guys in front of him. He was a pretty good tackler. But he was missing some of those other intangibles that Elam has in terms of the, the, the catch-up speed. In case he was beaten, he has the athleticism to catch up to some of these receivers. The tackling's been better than before. So, yeah, I do want to see him out there. And if he makes some rookie mistakes, so be it. You, you drafted this guy for a reason. Get Kyrie Elam out there opposite Trey White. Let him try to use his skills and his abilities to be a difference maker for this Bills team against a really good trio of receivers. Uh, we saw that they have a really good tight end in Hayden Hurst in that seven minutes that they played on Monday night a few weeks ago. And just in terms of his overall history in this league, they have some weapons, and the Bills need to be able to kind of counter those weapons uh, with some good players of their own on the back end. Um, Sir Nathan Thomas on YouTube said that I – said I'd be shaving my head if the Bills win the Super Bowl. I think you're going to need to find that footage, (laughs) Nathan. Uh, I don't remember saying that. Uh, But again, I don't remember a lot of the things that I say. So if you produce that footage, I will. uh, I'll deliver. I'll shave my head. Why not? Done it before. Uh, I got pictures. Love a good pun, Lauren. Uh, We've known for a while now. He's in his element right now. I'll show myself. (laughs) Well played, Lauren. Well played. 
All right, we got a super chat here from our good friend Kyle Gauger. How do you see the Bills scheming matchups against each of these Bengals pass catchers? They clearly targeted Trey on those two drives last game. Do you think Bills make adjustments to help Trey um, go Bills? Why don't you start us off, Ryan? Well, they were going to make adjustments no matter what. It's important to remember that each team comes out with so many scripted plays. Uh, so right. I feel I still feel like we we're in that scripted play portion of uh, Cincinnati's offense. Their first drive did not take very long to march down the field to their credit. Uh, they were they're already moving it again the second time. Once the scripted plays go out the window, things change in terms of how the defenses match up, how the offense matches up. Uh, I'm sure the Bills are going to look at that seven minutes of footage and say, okay, here's what they did though on those scripted downs. And I, the Bengals aren't going to come out and try the same exact things, but what can we learn from it? What can we do? They're, they're not going to give Trey white safety help or anything like that, but I'm sure white's going to go and look at his technique and what can I do differently against these wide receivers and Kyrie Elam uh, can get inserted in their opposite him and use what we were just saying, those athletic traits. The Bills are going to have to make adjustments, obviously, from what we saw. But I just wanted—I still wanted to specify that those are scripted plays. The Bills do this a lot, where this season, where the first drive, an opposing team marches down the field against them. Sometimes it's a touchdown, like the Bears game. The Bears were not a good team, but that first drive, they sure looked like it when they marched down against the Bills' defense. But then the Bills made adjustments, and there's a reason the Bears only scored six points after that. So it's a give and take to it. I wouldn't read too much into those seven minutes just because uh, I don't know how many of those plays truly were not scripted for Cincinnati. They are who they are for a reason. The Bengals are. Uh, And the Bills are who they are. They're going to allow big plays at times, especially against this team. Not only big plays, but they're going to allow teams to kind of move down the field on them. They're going to make, you know, um, they're going to want to kind of shore things up in the red zone. Um, And I also think Trey White is a different player this Sunday than he was in week 15 against the Bengals. He's made some big plays since then. I think I've said this on a show. Like I don't, I don't put too much stock into like swagger or playing like, you know, really like being showy out on the field. But for me, a big part of what made Trey so special back in the day was just the personality that came out of him when he played. And if you go back and watch those first few games, you know, it was almost like a guy that was just relearning you know, retracing his steps, right? Like learning how to play the position again, lo- learning how to move in, in, in a game with what happened to him, the injury that he suffered. And since I don't even know what the game would have been that, you know, where it really started to flip, but I'll tell you, he just looks like he's having fun again. He's smiling. I saw him in the locker room today and he was like, it was old Trey, like joking around, like, ready to maybe put on some goalie pads and stop some pucks. Like, I don't know. Like he, he just feels, he feels like he's getting back to himself. And I think like playing in that role. And then I also think, you know, having Dean Marlowe in this system, I I spent 10 minutes with him today for a story later in the week. And uh, it's such a cool story. And just like where he thought he, he might be years ago and um, you know, to come back after, you know, leaving to try to be a starter and it never really working out anywhere. And then coming back and having one of the biggest plays of the game last, last week in a playoff game. I mean, what a story. I think having him back here, there, the experience, the familiarity with Jordan Poyer, huge. And um, I know people have mentioned Micah Hyde. He's not going to be playing this week. He's been ruled out. And listen, I, I, to me, just from the guess, from a guessing perspective, I think it was as, 
activate activating his 21 day window was as much about what it meant for the locker room to have him back yeah. involved in the team everyday activities as much as it was eyeing a return date. Like I think, of course, Micah Hyde in the AFC title game, you're telling him there's any chance that he can play or like a doctor's going to clear him. Yeah, two thumbs up. He'll go out there. He'll play. He's a, he's a football player. But the the vibe I get from Sean McDermott is like it's going to have to be 100% fully cleared from a doctor's perspective. It's supposed to be a six-month injury. We're sitting here at four months. So it would be way, way ahead of scheduler schedule. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to make that uh, prediction. But I still think it would be a huge, huge development for Micah to be back. Yeah, I'm not ruling it out, obviously ruling it out this week, but I'm not saying it's impossible for him to, to suit up uh, championship game, Super Bowl. But I agree with you with the morale uh, perspective of it, especially everything that has been going on with them at that time. It's shortly after the Hamlin news, and he was getting better at that point. But look at the smile on Trey White's face and some of those practice photos that were brought out from Micah Hyde's first practice and what he can do for this team. And, you know, maybe if he's not even in the actual games, the communication standpoint and, and helping some uh, Dean Marlowe and other players in terms of what he's seeing out there, what he can do to a just from a perspective of being out there is another set of eyes on the practice field. I think that's a big factor there. Trey White, I think his confidence has been uh, getting better and, and higher each week, but the Patriots game is where I really saw him starting to play like himself again, uh, going into the Miami game really high up too. And just real quick, wait in the comment section. Uh, he said scripted plays stop after the first quarter. Scripted teams usually have about 15 to 20 scripted plays. Uh, those are plays that are that they practice ahead of the time for the week based on what they've seen the teams do leading up to that point. So, yes, you, you don't ever go into a game with four quarters of scripted plays uh, because the games ebb and flow. There, there's momentum shifts. There, there's times where uh, you might be up by 21 points and you're not going to be passing it every down at that point. So, yes, scripted plays do stop. And usually before the end of the first quarter, it's in that 15 to 20 play range. Dominic Iverson over on Facebook. Hopefully you guys will do score predictions. We will on Friday, my friend. That's right. The preview show. show. Find out Friday. And speaking of finding out something, you can go over to Top Friendly Markets, uh, their website right now, and you can enter for a chance to win $1 million. You can find the $1 million prize. You do it. Each week, Kings Hawaiian is pitting two city sliders against each other in the ultimate showdown, and you get to help decide the winner. Vote weekly for your favorite regional slider for a chance to win all season long and earn entries toward the $1 million prize. Explore the interactive stadium to play games, get recipes, share photos, and more. Visit topsmarkets.com slash redzone to enter. Ryan, where are we going back to on January 27th? Week from Friday. Yeah, we are going to be at Wingnuts Bills Mafia. It might be an end of the season show. Hopefully not for your sake. Fingers crossed. It could be an AFC championship game preview. Either way, if you are in Western New York, uh, get to Wing Nuts. Great beers, great wings, great times with Shout. Check my Facebook uh, page. You can find me at Matt Perino. Check out the um, the photo gallery that I put up. We're going to be sharing photos in the event page. There's an event page on Facebook right now. Shout fan meet and greet at Wing Nuts on January 27th. Go find my Facebook page and get yourself uh, RSVP to the event. I'll be sharing more details in that page as we get closer to the night of. It's just a night to come out, have great wings like Ryan mentioned, drink great beers, 
talk about the Bills. It's going to be fun. That's what we do. That's what we do is this community together. So why not? Uh, let's get together in person. Uh, get after it. We Nuts is awesome. Um, oh. I don't know what else to say. Somebody actually um, texted me about coming in uh, this, uh, I think it was this weekend. Yep. This weekend. And, uh, I sent them over to wing nuts because they've, de- they delivered every time we've been there so far. Yeah. Uh, and I expect them to keep delivering and I can't wait to try some different wings this next time. Obviously going to still have some of those great milds, uh, looking forward though, to some other kinds. I had some of my son's barbecue. Those were outstanding. Had a nice little, uh, kick to them at the very end, nothing too bad, but a good kick to them. So get over there, huge wings, great flavor. Can't go wrong. All right, so uh, Lauren uh, says she'll go only if Ryan picks the bill. So we'll okay. see. Uh, you will find that out on Friday when we preview this game. I believe we're going to have a special guest. I'm still working out and ironing out the details. Another little iron in the fire. We have a former bill that is going to be joining the show soon. I don't know the exact date on that, but in the next week or so. So stay tuned for that. I'm sure we'll get a lot of great stories. Preview uh, the bill's playoff next playoff game or maybe season recap we'll see for ryan talbot i'm matt perino we'll be back on friday don't miss it set your alarms 3 30 see you then shout a buffalo football podcast hosted by matt perino and ryan talbot